Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, Not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Further derby humiliation. Let's add it to the pile. It feels like much of Manchester United's support have lost the energy to truly be angry and instead have to resort to just being sad. And I think that tells you a lot about the season. As Roy Keane pointed out in a typically pointed manner, there is no shame in losing. Everybody does it at some point, but there is a way to be beaten. And this certainly was not it. Welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast and Series 7, Episode 27, with me, Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. We're talking, of course, about the City game, about a 4-1 defeat at the Etihad Stadium. We'll also give you an extensive youth loan and women's roundup with FA Youth Cup and WSL News. And then looking ahead to a home game against Antonio Conte's Tottenham on Saturday evening at Old Trafford. Jack, before we go into the uh, what will undoubtedly be a, a dispiriting conversation about United's performance at City, how are you? In regards to the rest of life, yeah, all right, mate. Not too bad. Um, things are things are going all right. I mean, it's really just United that are <laughs> sort of bringing me uh, bringing me any sort of pain in my life at the moment. So, other than that, yeah, things are okay. Yeah, so I, I just always find it helpful to to start after big defeats with something a, t- a topic that isn't the big defeat. There is more to life than football. There is more to life, and uh, it's a good reminder. I think it always helps when we record. I mean, this is only a what a day. I mean, it's, it was pretty much 24 hours ago full time uh, that we're recording on, on Monday evening now. But even that one day gives you just a, a slight bit of space to recover slightly and uh, and look at the, the game in, uh, I, I was going to say a slightly different way. But in this case, sometimes you come away from games where United have played well, but been beaten and, and the kind of immediate frustration makes you review it in a in maybe the, the incorrect manner. I think we probably have the same takeaways this evening as we did yesterday evening uh, when everyone was was very disappointed with how that second half in particular went. Uh, and that, that's probably where we should start, isn't it? Uh, we'll come on to the system that Ragnick employed and, and, and the lineup and the unfortunate absentees through injury and, and, and through COVID for Rafael Varane and Luke Shaw as well. Cavani, Ronaldo missing through injury. We'll come on to all of that and to Jane and Sancho's goal. But what really will stick in the memory for everyone is not even the City goals in the second half, but 
for the second time this season against Manchester City, we've seen United's players appear, and I'll use that word because uh, they they would, of course, deny that, or surely would deny it, and, and you'd hope so. But for the second time this season, they appear to have basically given up against City. And the lack of effort in the last 20 minutes was just, I'm not going to use the word harrowing, because in, in the context of everything else that's going on in the world, that's a, it, uh, this is not harrowing, other things are. But it just dispiriting and, and embarrassing, really, as a Manchester United fan to see such little effort on the pitch, such little challenge to Manchester City's supremacy in those final 20 minutes. It was it was hard to watch. It really was. I think this was worse than the final half an hour or so of the game against Man City at Old Trafford earlier in the season. At that point, and this is still really bad, but in that game in the second half, it felt like both teams sort of took their foot off the, the pedal in that game. You know, City really dropped their tempo as well. The game just sort of fizzled out with City just kind of keeping the ball and no real fizz to the game. You know, that is that is bad enough in itself, but I guess the one excuse that you could maybe make was that sort of the whole game was sort of petering out. To this time at the Etihad, the game wasn't petering out at all. You know, we went in at half time, we were 2-1 down. We were right in the game at half time and we came out so flat. And then especially after the third goal went in, City didn't drop their tempo at all. You know, City's intensity stayed extremely high yeah. right throughout the game. And it wasn't as if this game just sort of petered out into a nothing, you know, last half an hour. We just didn't answer the call. We were not at the races at all. And it was, to be honest, it was embarrassing watching watching the last 25 minutes of that game. It was like watching an FA Cup tie between a League Two side and a Premier League team with the League Two side, you know, just sort of happy that they could be there. Yeah. And, you know, sort of enjoying the occasion, knowing that this wasn't what their season was about. That's what it felt like. It was absolutely embarrassing watching that last 25 minutes or so. Yeah. I'm not sure we can sum it up with the, I mean, Roy Keane is often, I think Roy Keane a few years ago was seen as kind of the grumpy old man on, on television who, who got very angry and was kind of a, a lunatic waiting to throw a punch. And, and there's been that progression to actually where he's viewed now, certainly from, from my perspective, but I think from everyone as well as not only has he got that passion about football, a deep, deep passion about football and Manchester United. And not only has he got that, but the knowledge of, of the club and, and what it takes to be a, a, a winning football player, not just a, a winning Manchester United player as well. But he's also got now, yeah, eloquence to kind of outline his point. So I'm not sure we can better how he puts it. And, and I'm sure most, many people have seen it. And he, he was quite calm in, in his reaction and until he was made to, to watch the goals again. And then his eyes yeah. seemed to turn red as, uh, as one of my mates said, it was like someone someone put a coin in him and he just started to to trundle towards that that typical Roy Keane angle we've seen. But his his basic argument was he 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 started off by saying to play in any game and give up is unforgivable, and in top level sport there's no hiding place. And as I said in the intro, he's absolutely right. There's there's a way to lose football matches, but the way that United lost that wasn't acceptable. It was every, it was all over the pitch. It was the substitutes, it was a starting eleven, and it was it was not just that United were sitting and, and refusing to attack. It was there was no attempt to run forward, and yet there was still no attempt to run back either. And United simply sat in the middle of the pitch. The whole team, I don't think there was anyone who who wasn't guilty of this, simply sat in the middle of the pitch, neither defending nor attacking, and just let City do what they liked. 
and City weren't in in top gear by by any means, and and probably could have scored more. It was just a baffling display of of. I, I think it is quite unforgivable for lots of them. It's mass- yeah, of course it's unforgivable. Like, I think the the part of what Roy Keane was saying in that uh, some monologue that you were referencing, Harry, was actually just that. Surely he said he said that at some point your own sense of pride has got to kick in. Yeah. And I think that's that's what I go back to in this. Like like I said, I know, I know that I've mentioned, you know, playing football and sort of a Sunday league team is very, very different, obviously, to the Premier League. But I've mentioned it a few times. I think sometimes it's instructive just to think about your own experiences playing football, right? And I've, I've said before that, actually, I've used this as a way to defend the players before, that when you go out and play a game of football, you never go out on the pitch knowing that you're not going to put in your full yeah. effort that day. You know, there are sometimes reasons for you know whether it's stuff that's going on in the game whether it's your brain not processing quickly that you 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 sort of can't ma- manage to sort of dig up as much of the reserves as you might need to but I've been on the, the the receiving end of results like this and you don't stop fighting the way that United did because you like you retain a sense of pride yeah. in what you're putting out there both as an individual and as a and as a teammate you know I I Again, I know it's very different playing Sunday League down the you know down the local uh, field versus playing in a Manchester derby, but surely you retain that sense of ownership and pride over what you're putting out on the pitch, both from your own perspective and what am I doing, what is my job, but also as a team. Like it, it should it be. Like United just didn't care. It should, I mean, you're you're kind of caveating it by saying it's different, but it should be different in the other way that you're suggesting. The, the sense of pride in playing for Manchester United should be more than playing for a Sunday League team. That's it's well, yeah. I, I it's guess I'm just saying say. I don't know. I, I don't know the exact feeling of what it's like with sort of all the pressure and everything that they feel. And it's arguably there's more pride, but it's also more humiliation, I guess. But you know, like I, I'm just but saying, I, I case, don't know exactly what that feels like. But I think there is a lot of similarities in the way that you should feel about what you're putting on the pitch. But, yeah, but if, if the humiliation is greater, the desire to end it should be greater. That's that yeah. should be the right mentality, um, and as I say, you've got so much more to play for. Yeah, yeah, and I, I also, I just think this team has forget this club. United have obviously had many incredible comebacks in the past, but forget about that because when you when you're playing in in the heat of the moment at the Etihad against a, a brilliant, brilliant City team, you're not going to be thinking about Solskjaer's goal at the New Camp or United coming from behind to beat Spurs five three. Forget all of that. But what the players can relate to is is their own experiences in the past, whether they think about them directly or it just has a has a role on their mentality. And and this team has come from behind in the past against good teams and against weak teams, against a lot. And so you just wonder what 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 happened? And and this is why, I, as I say, I don't think we can we can get our comments obviously haven't gotten as much weight as Roy Keane so there's no point reiterating what he said it again and again but as a fan you have to be angry at, at the lack of effort on show and disappointed of course you do in terms of looking at, at the bigger picture as a manager or or one of those involved in making the decisions at United then you have to spend your energy not on anger but on working out why that is why there was a lack of effort on show. And, and most importantly, is, is it fixable? Is this a mentality problem that's resulting from 
something specific? Is this a few players having weak mental responses in games? Do you need to get rid of some players, as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer seemed to do? Do you need to bring a couple of more players in with good resilience to, to lead the teams in, in these times? What is it? The solution is obviously hard to find because this team have shown that they can be mentally strong in the past, as I say, but they are not now. We've seen it time and time again that this team hasn't got that mental strength that they did a year ago. So just as with the ability of players, the technical skill of players, it's about getting the most out of that skill and and their physical attributes. In the same sense, it's about building an environment in which they can be resilient and, and mentally strong in the games. And this is not an excuse for the players. Not at all, because if these players were were truly top-class footballers, they would be able to have that resilient quality without needing the perfect environment. And they're showing they're not. But as uh, for the people making decisions at United, they need to work out why this is and and enact those changes as as soon as they can. I think, honestly, the biggest thing that's sort of plaguing this team from a mental aspect at the moment is I don't think we have any belief in big games. You know, if you actually look at it, the last time we won a big game, right? We beat Arsenal and Spurs this season, but I'm talking sort of Chelsea, mm. Liverpool, Man City, which to me are, are sort of the biggest three tests yeah. that United have on the pitch. We have, you know, every single game this season, all right, we drew one, was it 1-1 one, one with Chelsea, I think earlier in the season, yeah. but, you know, we, we drew that game under Michael Carrick in a very tumultuous time. You know, other than that, this season we've been, we've now been beaten 4-0 four, four by Liverpool. So- it was 4-0, it's, it's wasn't it? 5-0 Liverpool. It's 11-1 on aggregate Five. City, City-Liverpool yeah. City. Like, I just don't think there's any belief there. I really don't. Especially when, I think you maybe could have come into this game with some belief if you come off the back of what has been an easy run of fixtures on paper and, you know, you've been steamrolling teams, you've been winning every single game. And although our form's been good, it's not, it's not been great. You know, and I don't think there's been anything in the performances from the last couple of months to suggest that, we are good enough to go toe-to-toe with the likes of Man City or Liverpool. And I, I just, I don't think there's any belief there in the team. I really don't. And especially once you then get into a situation where you're 3-1 down, not only did you not have belief to start with, it's just completely drained. Again, that doesn't excuse the, the, way, that we, the, way, the way that we reacted to it. Because yeah. the way that you should react to it is that you, you try and conjure up your own belief by, you know, put, at the very least... You know, put it in the hard yards, but obviously that wasn't what happened. Well, it's not even, it, perhaps you don't need belief and it should be that you need to prove a point because a lot of teams can go to big, I think about in the FA Cup, teams don't go think with those examples of past victories thinking, oh, well, we've done it before, we can do it again. But they do have that sense of, we're the underdog, let's go and prove a point. And you can get belief from that. I mean, I'm stating the obvious here, but you can get belief from so many sources. It's not necessarily yeah. those past experiences. But as you say, just to reiterate your point, our last victory against City, Liverpool or Chelsea was uh, a year ago today when we're recording. So 7th of March, 2021, the 2-0 uh, win away at City. Yeah. It, and I just, I just don't think this this group of players has and the, that's the belief, and it's understandable. But that doesn't mean that that's the way that you react to it. Like you, you conjure up your own sense that you can win the game by you know competing, and you try and grow into the game. Yeah. Obviously, the early goal, conceding such an early goal, obviously hampered that. But we got ourselves back into the game. That's what made the second half so frustrating. Is that we did the hard work in the first half. We recovered from giving away a really yeah. sloppy early goal to get ourselves back in the game. And even at 2-1 down at half time, we were right in that game. I was just saying to you, Harry, that 
I very nearly went and watched this this game at a uh, United supporters bar in Chicago with a friend of mine who's a Man City fan. And I was texting with him at halftime. Thankfully, I didn't go to the bar. So that would have been a terrible experience in hindsight. But he, I was texting him at halftime <laughs> yeah. and he was saying, this feels like it's got a draw written all over it. I can feel United are going to come back. And that is what it felt like at halftime. Well, yeah, you could sense it from from the City fans who were not only edgy yeah. towards the, the end of the first half, but were edgy coming out uh, for the second half. And, and there was that edginess around the Etihad for, what, 10, 15 minutes? Um and, fr- and from the City fans who were, were talking online and from uh, ex-City players who were pundits on, on various TV channels, they were nervous and, and rightly so. But I do have, I, not only do I have concerns with the, uh, the, the way the team responded, but the reaction after the game, the, the, what was said in interviews by, uh, Maguire who came out, but also, uh, Rannick's comments of, he kind of said, well, after the third goal went in, that killed the game off. And you think there were, there was plenty of time left. And that's not only is there no one on the pitch to, to drive that belief, even at 3-1 and to say, hold on, this isn't acceptable what you're doing here, but it didn't seem to be coming from the touchline either. And, and yeah, I, I don't know whether it's a, a fair criticism or not, but. You think the clever thing to do after conceding the third goal was after getting another setback and, and you've clearly had a bad start to the second half, the clever thing to do is 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 engineer a situation where you can get a quick team talk by someone going down on the pitch and and, and getting the players to run over for, for waters. It's been covered in recent weeks with Southampton doing it regularly and, and just think, hold on, right, let's restart this. Let's go into the final quarter of the game and and whether we win this or not, get something out of it. Get some pride out of it, at worst. Get a draw out of it, p- probably at best. But we didn't do that. We just let things kind of sail onwards. Yeah, those comments from Ranyuk were, were so disappointing. You know, I think he obviously had a lot to respond to and he sort of got dragged into responding to criticism from, from Roy Keane and others about, you know, Ronaldo not being in the squad and some rumours of sort of a fallout there. But I think mean, that's just not an acceptable way to approach the end of a game. I don't, may, yeah, maybe the, the, the third goal killed off the game. We can say that now, but it killed off the game because of how we reacted to it. The yeah. third goal going in, in and of itself did not stop that game from being a good contest. Because if you come out and you react well to that goal, you maybe make a couple of changes, have a team talk, you know, get the players to sort of calm down a second. You, you nick a goal and you're back in the game. <laughs> I'm not being funny, but you only have to go back, what, six weeks ago to when we lost the two-goal lead to Aston Villa to tell yourself that. You know, on the pitch and at the Etihad, we had at various points, Pogba, Lingard, De Gea, all of whom were in the the, the game when we were 2-0 yeah. down at the Etihad and in the second half came back and won 3-2 just, yeah. what, three or four years ago. I, you know, I'm not saying that all the players are necessarily going to be thinking about that at the time, but to say that the third, a third goal, when, when did it go in? It was like 65 minutes, I think, the third goal? Yeah, roughly. No, to say that to say that a goal that early on killed the game off is nonsense. It's complete nonsense. Yeah. And if that actually is, you know, maybe he was saying it after the game because of how the team reacted to it. And maybe his point was that the third goal sort of kept, like sort of shattered like mentally the team, but it's your job as a manager to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, that's, that, that was, I, I've generally really loved everything that Ranyuk has said since he joined United, but I, that was, 
It was really disappointing to hear him say that because it's just, it's not the way you should be approaching any game, let alone a game against Yeah, and I was also a bit surprised because one of his great qualities has been his honesty. And and the the good thing about being an interim manager is you can kind of, you can get away with things that a longer term manager couldn't because you can be a bit more honest and a a bit more confrontational in in public because you're not going to be there for longer than the next three months as a manager, uh, whether you're going to be a consultant or, or whatever or not. So it, it was disappointing. Let's talk about how, how things set up and, and let's briefly go through the, the okay first half. Um, the goal was excellent. Exactly what we wanted. Several bits of individual quality. Wambasaka's little clipped ball over top. Very good. Pogba, excellent. Sancho, top class. Um, all of it lovely. The two goals we conceded were were really poor. But first of all, in terms of our setup, what did you make of it? Because it it had its benefits, but it certainly left us very open to to problems, individual mistakes as well. It left us prone to. I liked it. To be honest, I liked it. I I was very intrigued by how we were going to set up. Obviously, with the injuries and the the COVID absences, and then when I saw the team sheet as well. So seeing the team sheet at first, it looked like it might be a 4-3-3 with Fernandez as the most advanced player, which is something that we'd spoke about in the preview of the show last week, or it could have been sort of a diamond with Sancho and Alanga as sort of split strikers. In the end, it obviously wasn't either of those. And I, I really liked it. I mean, partially I think I liked it because I'm just a fan of sort of interesting and innovative Tactics. It just made the game interesting to watch because it was a new dimension to the game that I didn't expect. But tactically, I actually think it worked quite well because effectively it meant that it's, it's obviously a very common tactic when teams want to know that they're not going to have much of the ball during the game to set up with sort of two banks of four. And normally you'd set up with a bank of four in defence and a bank of four in midfield. But what United did is we set up with two banks of four, but our banks of four were in defence and then an attack. Yeah, And actually I quite liked it because what it did was it's, it meant that it was just harder for Man City to play the ball from defence into midfield. And so it meant that a lot of the time in the first half, they just sort of have to be content with pinging the ball around the back. And yes, it meant that we had a lot of men pushed forward and so that there was space in behind them. And when they did manage to get the ball through, that did cause us problems. But I actually really liked that we just stopped the ball from coming into those midfielders as often as, as we did. And then what happened was when they did manage to do that, it'd be up to Sancho and Elanga to drop really quickly, follow Walker and Cancelo as they made their forward runs. And so the hope, I think, was that it would be able to sort of switch between a 4-2-4 and a 4-4-2 quite easily. And then we wouldn't be able to, we wouldn't be left too exposed defensively. I liked it. I thought it was interesting. I think it did work for the majority of the first half. It did mean that when Man City did get the ball into midfield, they were probably more dangerous than they would be normally yeah. having the ball with those players. But I think it did also stop them from getting the ball into those areas a lot more because the other, the other thing that it, that it did that I liked is that normally if you do manage to, to sort of stop those balls coming into midfield against City, they sort of draw you in. And so they they encourage your midfielders to push up, push up, push up, and then eventually they'll find an out ball. And at that point, your midfielders who are running forwards towards Man City's goal then have to turn around and run back towards your own goal to try and fill that space. And I liked the fact that we could we could try and stop that ball into midfield, put pressure on their defence, but still have the midfielders sitting, sitting back there. Look, obviously, no tactic against Man City is perfect yeah, because yeah. They're, they're a very, very good team and they have a lot of ways to beat you. But I, I really liked it. I thought it was interesting. I thought it did work the vast majority of the time in the first yeah, half. Yeah, it was individual mistakes that 
were the undoing in the first and second goals. The yeah. second, well, actually both of them. I was going to say the second particularly, but the, the first was for, for five minutes into a Manchester derby, it was shocking the kind of inability to yeah. be on your toes to to realise where the danger was, um, to give someone a tap I mean, The Bruyne had that much space in the box for about five seconds yeah. before he even received the ball. And I, well. I mean, not only, uh, first of all, how many times have we seen that goal again when we've played against City yeah. every year, every, yeah. every match? Um, but also... We only ever concede those goals or set pieces against Man City and we did yeah. both of them <clears throat> yesterday. Yeah. But we also concede that goal against quite a few teams. Not, not kind of exactly the same because City do it in not a unique way but they do it so often um, but we often concede those goals from a free person in the box who's there for several seconds longer than they should be um, Matty Longstaff we, springs to mind as well a couple of times yeah. he scored similar goals for Newcastle against us I was thinking the Sheffield United game uh, about this Fleck? time last John year Fleck? as well I think yeah there was a couple um, I think both of their goals came from that um, yeah just that inability to be switched on is really poor, and it was for both goals. In fact, it was it was kind of for all four goals, wasn't it? Your, your, your main offenders uh, for the first goal, Tellez for the second goal, Lindelof and McTominay probably for the fourth goal, McTominay, and for the third, I'm not sure who. That was a a, a good bit of quality. Um, possibly still could have stopped it. Yeah, they worked that set piece quite well. Rodri blocked off. Yeah. I don't know who it was that was close to Harris, but Rodri blocked them off. That was well well. But yeah, certainly for one, two and four, there was a primary um, culpability and then lots of others as well. And you just, this is, this is the kind of part of football which no matter how much you watch it, you can't explain. I don't know why. That, well, yeah. I guess you can explain it. They should be more switched on. But it, is there anything else we can say apart from that? The, the, the only other thing I can say is just that we seem to get caught ball watching so much more than any other team uh, that's trying to play at a top level. And I don't know if that is individual things that are just, you know, habits that our players are, are finding difficult to get rid of, whether it's something that isn't worked on enough in the training, training ground. But whatever it is, I mean, that's the cause of all of this. You know, in the build up to the first goal, Lindelof gets dragged over out to Grealish and Bernardo Silva, which. You know, okay, they were in a dangerous position. I understand going out there, but it's not really where you want your centre back to be out on the edge of your own box. And him and Wambasaka, despite both of them being out out there, weren't able to stop the cross coming in. That forces Maguire to go with the run to the front post, which I think was Foden. And then Tellez, I mean, Tellez was sort of at fault for this goal, but I also feel for him a little bit because he's having to mark both De Bruyne and Mares in the box because. As a result of Lindelof going out wide, Maguire has to step up, step off De Bruyne onto Foden. Then Tellers has to decide whether to stay with Mares or go on De Bruyne yeah. or call Fred back so that he can be with De Bruyne. You know, it's just it, it's one of those things where there isn't there's there's you know there might be one player who's slightly more at fault than others, but there's there's no one thing that's at fault here. It's just a it's a bit of a mess to be yeah. honest. And you know, part of that obviously is Man City being a good team and they they pull you in a lot of different places because their movement is very good, but. It's also just United not being able to cope with it. And it does seem like we, and that, that's kind of the common theme to that, the point you were making, Harry, that about all the goals that we seem to concede from midfielders or, or not the most advanced player having too much space in the yeah. box. It happens all the time because we just get caught ball watching. And when you get caught ball watching, players that don't, come, don't 
players that aren't positioned in sort of the mo- what looks like the most immediately threatening part of the pitch are left unmarked. Yeah. And, you know, in that case, it was, if you're, say, Maguire, you get drawn into watching the ball and watching Foden at the front post and you don't even see De Bruyne. And if you're Fred, you get caught watching the ball and you don't see De Bruyne to your right. It's, it's a problem that's plagued us for a long, long time. And because of how good City's movement is and because how much they play with these sort of cutbacks into the, the midfielders, it, it comes up almost every time we play against them. It's not really much of a surprise. Yeah. Uh, Maguire for the goal. Can't even remember which one it was. There were too many. Um, the second goal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, I just wanted to, to rant about this basically because I've just been really frustrated by all the analysis of it. And that Maguire obviously let, lets the ball run through his legs for the, in the build up to the second goal, which isn't good to, to be clear. It's, you know, that is not something that you want to see from a defender that close to their own goal. But I'm just, I'm just fed up of, people trying to make make decisions and make assumptions and, and form opinions about players and things that happen based on a, a two-second video on Twitter that has cut out all of the context around it. You know, everyone's saying, why did Maguire just kick it out for a corner? Because his feet aren't set. He's, he's running full speed to try and cut off Foden's shot. He's then coming to a stop with the ball. Well, he doesn't know where the ball's going to go. It ends up coming straight back at him. The way I see it, Maguire's basically got three options in that, in that scenario. He can either let the ball go through his legs as he did. He can try and kick it out for a corner first time, which to be honest is probably even more risky than letting the ball go through his legs because as a result of his feet not being set properly, he does try and, try and uh, kick the ball out. His balance, his weight is all over the place. There's uh, honestly probably a decent chance he scores an own goal by doing that or miss, completely misses it. Or he tries to take a touch and then kick it out for a corner but again, his feet aren't set. So taking a touch doesn't mean, you know, cushioning the ball with his instep as you normally would. It means probably just letting the ball hit his leg, hope that it happens to drop at his feet and then he can clear it. But then he's having to take a touch in his box, four yards away from his own goal. You know, he could get tackled. Anything could happen. And that's, it's just, the point is, that's not a good situation for anyone to be in at all. And, if, you know, you're a defender facing your own goal four yards away with a ball ricocheting towards you when you're trying to slow down from running full speed. It's not a good situation, no matter what he does there. And it just frustrates me that, have a go at Maguire. He's not played well for the last few months. He wasn't great against Man City. He probably could have done better for that goal. But if you're going to come at, come at Maguire like that, come at everyone else with the same amount of energy. Every single goal is a result of a series of events that all have to happen in a certain way for a goal to go in. It's never just one thing, never just one person. And in this case, if you want to berate Maguire to such an extent, fine. But then also berate Ilanga for losing the ball on the edge of the box in the first place. Berate Wan-Bissaka for not challenging the header with Grealish on the edge of the box. Berate Maguire for completely missing the ball and Foden when Foden flicked it over his head. You know, berate Tellez, who actually Maguire recovered from letting the ball run through his legs and blocked the shot from Bernardo Silva and Tellez inadvertently deflected it back into De Bruyne's path. Berate Tellez as well. You know, it's just where everyone is just looking for one thing, one person to blame. And football is a very complex game. Goals are very complex things that are built up from a series of things happening. And we're just all looking for two simplistic ways to blame things that are very, very complex. And we can't. And then you see a two-second video on Twitter and everyone's like, oh, Maguire, you know, what's Maguire doing? I can't believe he's done that. It's like, well, if you actually watch a literally just spend 10 seconds watching the entire series of, of the play and you'll understand why he's done what he's done. It's just, I know in, in the grand scheme of things, it's not, not that important. It's just so frustrating seeing people 
try and rush to conclusions. And, you know, the fact that it's Maguire makes it worse because he's obviously getting a lot of criticism anyway. It's, it's just frustrating that, you know, just take some time to understand the broader context of what's happening in a game. Yeah. I thought it was, we'll move on in, in a second, but I thought it was interesting that in the analysis of the first goal, I think, where Tellez is kind of caught between De Bruyne and Mares, which I did think was was really poor. You have to make your mind up there and, and do yeah, one of the Yeah, he sort two. of did neither. Um, yeah. There was a lot of doing neither. There was that moment where De Gea half ran out, but then didn't commit fully and then committed fully and then almost took Wan-Bissaka <laughs> out. Um, anyway, I thought it was interesting in, in, in Mika Richards' analysis of that first goal, he said, because he's obviously played in that position, um, he said, as a defender, you just have to go to the first point of danger in that scenario. So go yeah. to De Bruyne and leave Mahrez. And if it goes over your head to Mahrez, you can say. And I thought that's really interesting because he's he's played the game professionally. So I, I do want to know his opinion on that. But I did just wonder... Had he done that and the ball had gone over his head to an empty Mares, yeah. then what? <laughs> would, would would we still yeah. be saying the same thing? So it's, so, it's just so much of way, so much of what we think about not just football works. but just the world is so based on outcomes rather than processes. You know, it's yeah. the same. It, it was the same with the Maguire yeah. thing too. You know, if Maguire lets that go through his legs and Wan-Bissaka's behind him and clears it, we don't ever talk about it again. I I think that a lot about defending yeah. in general. To be honest, I think analyzing defending is hard because generally you always see the worst of it. Um, and it, you know, if a goal goes in, a defender could always have done something differently, yeah. but if they'd have made a different choice, maybe the goal just gets scored in a different way. It's, it's, it's just hard. Defending is hard. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go to a youth loan and women's roundup and then we'll be talking about the Tottenham match and how United can move on. So the under 18s also faced Derby defeat the weekend, the five, one loss for them, much changed team. Um, because on Wednesday night, the under-18s play in the FAE's Cup semi-final at Old Trafford against Wolves, who beat Brighton in their semi-final at Molyneux, in their quarter-final, sorry, at Molyneux to qualify for this. United have beaten Scunthorpe, Reading, then Everton, then Leicester. Um, so far, Alejandro Garnacho has probably been the star of the competition for United so far. Other good performances from Charlie McNeil, who's a striker, from Cobby Miner, who's a young Stockport lad, uh, plays in midfield. Uh, Sam Mathers scored a few goals as well. Interestingly, Garnacho, uh, he has been called up to Argentina's preliminary squad for their upcoming World Cup qualifiers. They've already qualified for Qatar, so they've got two more games where they could experiment. Uh, they're basically trying to get him at a young age. Garnacho's born in Madrid, uh, is Spanish. His mum was born and raised in Argentina, so that's where the eligibility comes from. Whether he'll, he'll accept and, and go and play for Argentina or whether he wants to play for Spain is, is yet to be seen. But it's certainly a good recognition of his talent. He's only 17, so he's, he's, he's done fantastically well to earn that initial call-up. Earlier in the week, the under-19s were knocked out of the UEFA Youth League, really unfortunately against Borussia Dortmund, lost 3-1 on penalties, had been the better team throughout the game, to be honest, just didn't convert chances Um Jamie Bynor Gittins, who used to play for City, scored both of Dortmund's goals. Charlie McNeil had initially equalised to make it 1-1 with a really good finish. And then Reese Bennett, the centre-back, absolutely lashed one in real further than esque late on to send it to penalties just before full-time McNeil was fouled in the box. But the referee waved the claims away. Uh, definitely wrongly there was no question about it after seeing the replay so uh, uh, a shame for them uh, they would have played Atletico Madrid in the quarterfinals of that competition but um, what can you do that's football um, 
The under-23s don't play this week, didn't play last week either. In lone news, Teeth Chong returned first start for Birmingham City since October where he got an injury and scored after just two minutes, which is brilliant for him. 2-1 win against Bristol City. James Garner got an assist on Friday night for Nottingham Forest as they equalised in the last minute against Sheffield United. Axel Twanzebe is injured at the moment. That's why he's not playing for Napoli. Uh, and he's supposedly back in England receiving treatment for that. So mm, best wishes to, to him and hopefully he can get back on track soon. And the women got back on track themselves. Uh, 4-0 win against Leicester, including two direct goals from a corner from Katie Zellum, having done exactly the same against City. Scored one direct corner against City last week, two against Leicester this week in five minutes. So completely unheard of. Uh, ridiculous. But a great win for, for the women. And hopefully that, that puts them back in the top three and hopefully they can stay there now until the end of the season. Jack, we haven't got long. We should wrap up shortly. But Tottenham on Saturday, a Saturday 5.30 kickoff is music to my ears. It must be said. And, and I'd imagine for, for you as a US-based fan uh, as well, um, but not for our, our Asian supporters. So sorry to all of you and to Australian followers. But uh, for those of us in England and in, in the Western world, it's a great time for kickoff. What are you expecting? The, the golden question. And a complete unknown at this point. <laughs> a complete unknown, yeah, because both of these teams are pretty impossible to predict how they're going to turn up week to week. Both of them capable of brilliance and have players capable of brilliance, and both teams also capable of some really, just some really, really. I, I describe it as stodgy football, you know, just really, really slow, lethargic, no creativity. Both teams are capable of that. I expect Spurs will probably sit quite deep and try and hit us on the counter attack. That's generally the way that Conte likes to go in these big games. Wouldn't surprise me if they set up sort of similarly to how they did against Man City. We talked quite a lot last week about the way that Conte managed to foil Man City with Kane being quite deep and then having Son and was it Kulusevski in that game? I think quite high up the pitch. I think he'll probably yeah. do a similar thing again. I mean, trying to predict this game is is pretty much impossible because like I said, both teams are... They sort of lurch from the sublime to the ridiculous <laughs> every week. You know, obviously, Harry Kane is the big... The big worry, Kane and Son are two of the best players in, in the league. And if they are on song that day, as they did against Man City, can really tear us apart. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a very difficult one to, to tell the United, isn't it? Um, I don't think we can really learn. The problem is with the City game, we can obviously learn things long term. What can we learn going into this game? Not much because it's a, just a completely different prospect. I'm hoping to, to see some, some fight back. The players have have the day off the day after, so yeah, the day off this today or Monday, and then no midweek game, and and yeah, hopefully a chance to work on some things, but also to have some. But you'd, you'd hope that after this there'd be some kind of in in squad confrontations. I think we said after there were there were. I remember back in autumn when we were hearing reports of kind of a bit of disagreement within the dressing room and he thought, well, yeah, that's exactly how it should be once you've just got spanked by a rival. So hopefully a little bit of that. And and the fact that it's at Old Trafford is good, I think. It, it'll be a strange atmosphere, I think, from the start because you, you're never going to get like a... It's, it's always funny after a big away defeat, the game for back at Old Trafford again. Because as a fan, you don't really know. You obviously get caught up in it once you're there. But as a fan, you're going into that game without hope and also thinking, 
God, these players were rubbish the, the last time I watched them. Why why should I be cheering them on this much? But that's just the uh, the nature of football, isn't it? If you had to give a prediction, what would it be? I think I, I'm I'm sort of going to give two, but then I'll decide on one as I'm speaking. Because <laughs> I think this game could go one of two ways. I think either, if there's an early goal in this game, I think it could be really fun. Because I think both teams will be wanting a reaction after some bad form. And if a goal goes in early, I think we could see quite an unstructured, open game, especially if it's us that score first, because I think that will force Spurs to play on the front foot a little bit more, make the game a little bit more open. I think if there's not an early goal, I could also see this turning into a very drab nil-nil. Basically, I think both both teams are desperate not to lose this game. Absolutely desperate. Because if you lose yeah, this I think game... It'll be a draw. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's where I was going. If I think if you lose this game as either one of these teams, your season feels like it's almost over. You know, if United lose this game and Arsenal win, we are effectively done, if Arsenal yeah. if Arsenal would then be four points ahead with three games in hand. In fact, actually, they, they would have played one of their games in hand because they play tomorrow night, don't they? I think. Yeah. Um, so you know, they might be seven points ahead with two games in hand. Spurs yes, similarly God. will be massively behind if they lose. So I think if there's no early goal. I think this could peter out to a pretty drab nil-nil. But if there is an early goal, I think both teams will go at it to try and you know make sure they don't lose. I will err on the side of trying to be fun and I'll say it's going to be a two-all <laughs> I was good. Yeah, I'm going 2-2 two, two as well. My, my optimistic prediction, and it tells you everything you need to know that this is optimistic, is 2-2, two, two, but in a manner which gives some hope for what's to come. Um, I'll take that. We we should wrap up. I think, the I think game. there is a chance. I think if either team is going to run away with this game, I think it will be United. Like I could, yeah, I could, yeah. I could also see a world where this is like three-one United, whereas I can't see Spurs rolling us over like that. I think if Spurs are going to win, it's going to be like a one-nil, two-one, very tight game. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think that is more in the realm of possibilities than it is Spurs dominate us because us at our best, I trust much more than Spurs at their best. Yeah, the problem is. Are we going to see our best? Probably not. <laughs> I'm not going to mention the result from October 2020. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll leave that uh, for now. But, hey, but, but also in October 2021, sorry, Spurs were one of the only teams in the league that we could beat for about a six-week period there. So Yeah, very true. Um, yeah, and on that positive note, let's wrap up. Obviously, the Athletic game follows Tottenham on Tuesday. Uh, we'll be recording a preview show for that, which is a, a massive game. And uh, on the positive side of it gives, if we win it, lots to look forward to on the negative side, which I'm sure most people are thinking is if we lose that, what do we do for two months? Because we, we won't have anything to play for really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll be recording a preview show to that on Thursday, which will be released on Sunday morning after the Tottenham game. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, and then we'll be back to review both games on the Wednesday or Thursday after both games have been played until then um, have a great week enjoy the games for more from us on Twitter you can find the podcast at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 and you can find Jack at at UTD Tate that's T-A-I-T we'll see you all next week have a good one goodbye Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.